0: Hello and welcome to this episode of The Health Pulse, a podcast exploring how analytics in the health and life sciences industry is growing and its repercussions in all our lives. My name is Greg Horn, and I am your host for the series as always and I'm joined by my expert Patrick Homer today to discuss a topical subject. And on this week's episode, we turn our attention to uh, commercial pharma, a subject that is fairly new to me and one that I'm going to learn a lot about today as well. And we've got Patrick coming on to talk about it. But before he comes, just a reminder that your emails and questions can come through to the Health Pulse Podcast at sas.com, where now we have live episodes. We're starting to get questions coming through. And as we've mentioned before, we're going to be looking at how we include those in an episode in the future. So without further ado, let's hand over to Patrick to do a quick introduction. Patrick, can you uh, tell us a bit about yourself, please?
1: Yeah, sure, Greg. Well, firstly, I just want to say uh, thanks for the invite to your show, part of the global life sciences team at SAS. I joined here from having over 20 years in the pharmaceutical industry. And as a team, we've got our life sciences specialities across clinical research and development, market access, commercial, manufacturing, and supply chain. And my focus is the market access and commercial side. The role that we've got is, well, two parts. Uh, Part one is that we help inspire and support our customers on their journey into the world of developing advanced analytical capabilities. Uh, We help them navigate around the complexities in developing this competence. And part two is that naturally we're exposed to the real world, we see the trends that are starting to take place in analytics and we bring those back to SAS to evaluate the development of, should we develop IP? Should we develop solutions on our analytical
0: platforms to solve these industry problems? Brilliant. And Patrick, you know, so we're getting into with everybody is we, we want to hear a bit more about our guests in a rounded way. So when you're not solving these commercial issues, what, what do you like to do when you're not at SAS?
1: Well, Greg, historically, I love to travel, uh, to travel globally, not only sort of professionally when I was, had the opportunity to go out and travel globe, meet customers, but also personally as well, you know, adventures to the tropics, to tropical islands. I also like to ride motocross. Uh, I get out to the track uh, in our home state, North Carolina, a couple of times a month. Uh, I find it's a great release uh, and a great way to get fit for it and also to keep fit by doing it too. So that's uh, a little bit of background about myself.
0: Brilliant. That sounds great. I used to ride motorcycles in the UK and I'm sure listeners can hear that even though Patrick lives in North Carolina, he is also from the UK too. So we have a British invasion here today. So uh, Patrick, so let's get into this a little bit more then, because commercial pharma, again, it's a subject that I'm not massively familiar with. But you've been in this for a very long time and you've been involved in the analytics of this for a long time. So can you just talk to me a sure. bit about a memorable moment, something that really stands out for you uh, that we can kind of pick apart and start to discuss?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, firstly, let me give a quick definition, description, sort of, Greg. You say that, you know, you're not too sort of familiar with this area. So let me start there. Well, in simple terms, pharma companies have research and development programs for sort of drug discovery. And when a product is starting to look promising uh, that it's going to make it through there, they start to seriously plan for the market access. Which countries? We're going to launch into what are the regulatory submissions that we've got to sort of tackle. We've got to start seeking approval within those countries to market the products. How do we get reimbursement? And then we need to start thinking about sort of the true commercialization phase. How many sales forces do we need to put behind the brand uh, to the market in each country? Which physicians do they target? How should we support the marketing? Uh, Which channels do we invest in? And so on. Uh, How do we make accurate future forecasts in the supply chain, uh, making sure that the supply chain is in sync with demand. Uh, those are all areas that I would put under the banner of sort of commercial analytics. It's a study of all those processes uh, and the determination of where advanced analytics can make a difference and bring in significant value.
0: Oh, brilliant. So, okay, let's jump back to that first question then. So thinking about your long and distinguished career, what's that, that thing, that memorable moment that kind of jumps out to you?
1: Yeah, sure, Greg. Well, I think, you know, you always remember your first breakthrough that you've managed to uh, manage to create. Uh, well, my background, I had 20 years in the pharma industry. And during that time, I did have the opportunity to lead pharma sales teams. Uh, the methodology that those teams deployed in the way that they targeted physicians, who they were going to call on, the priorities, had a flaw into it. It was based upon what we call top decile prescribing, based upon identifying physicians who prescribed highly of the therapy area. So turn the clock back to 2008 when I first joined SAS. I had at my disposal the resources and also the technology to challenge these assumptions. And we started to build predictive models. Predictive models identifying physicians who had prescribed highly, and then we could identify what I call the prescribing DNA, uh, exploring the prescribing trends of all the competitors by analysing that data, understanding more about their profiles, such as socioeconomic areas that they served. And very quickly, we discovered that we could significantly increase the yield, the prescribing potential, by developing predictive models. Uh, and we found a number of innovative sponsors from the industry who wanted to join us on this uh, on this voyage of discovery. And, you know, that was going back to sort of 2008. And, um, you know, I think in many ways we were probably ahead of our time. But it's great to see recently in the years, McKinsey also picked up this as part of analysis they did on the industry. And they identified it as an area that would also drive a, drive significant value.
0: So, Patrick, that's really interesting that you discussed there. Um, I, I want to pick up on that McKinsey piece there. Can you expand on that a little bit more and just tell me a bit more about that piece of research and its relevancy for today?
1: Yeah, sure. Great question, Greg. Well, a few years ago, McKinsey released a report about the impact of analytics and AI, artificial intelligence, uh, across all industries, but they also did a study of life sciences. I think the conclusion there is that they identified that for the life sciences industry, there could be 400 billion, 400 billion of gains uh, from the application of analytics and AI across the whole of the life sciences spectrum. But yet out of that 400 billion, over 50% of the potential value comes from the commercial sector. Now, when you start thinking about this, it becomes very logical as an area that would bring significant value if you consider that when a pharmaceutical company invests in the research and development phase probably spend depending on which report you see is between two to three billion dollars to bring that drug to market Yet, however, the lifetime value uh, if you get that drug right of revenues that you can discover is significant. The top 10 launches of all time have netted between 85 billion to 160 billion in revenue. Now that's a big area to go after and that's the diff- where advanced analytics can study all the processes that are involved and can really make that difference in releasing value. So I think McKinsey's c- conclusion were very much to the point there
0: that's really interesting because i think uh drug companies uh it's often not known the kind of investments they make in this space as well and people don't necessarily appreciate that return on investment that's required in that drug space Okay, let's just turn this around a little bit then. Let's think about coronavirus because you've talked very eloquently about what's been the norm up until now. Coronavirus must have changed that quite a lot and it must be changing the strategies around how these companies go to market and how they engage their sales teams particularly. Can you just expand a little bit about what the coronavirus has done in this market?
1: Yeah, well, Greg, in summary, COVID mercilessly tested the commercial side of life sciences. Now, as an industry they were heavily weighted towards in-person scientific education. So, for example, Greg, sales reps, symposia, and congresses, very much of an in-person type of business model. Now, take that away, instantly, overnight, as happened with the, uh, with the pandemic, they're only left with one channel about digital engagement. And as an industry, because the farmer industry had invested so much on the in person yes they had made significant developments amongst the digital channels but perhaps not as much as other industries and so now overnight they had to rely heavily on that sort of, uh, on that channel and they had to reimagine about how they would reengage with their sort of audience through that channel now during that time we did have the at the time of the pandemic At the start of the pandemic, we had the opportunity to work with a really pioneering customer. They were going to launch a critical series of webinars that was designed to tackle down COVID. It was about experts, physician experts, sharing about their experiences uh, from around the globe in the approaches they had uh, in tackling down sort of COVID. But very quickly, this customer started to ask the questions about the experiences that the physicians were having within that webinar, and there were questions that they couldn't answer. And at that time, they reached out to our team. Now, instantly, we managed to help them out by embedding what we call some of our customer intelligence capabilities, being able to get a granular level of information way beyond where the industry currently was. And we deployed it really quickly. Within a couple of weeks, certainly in time before they ran their next webinars of of this series, the analytics started to yield new insights, and they started to discover major issues. Uh, Major issues, for example, with the registration that led to high levels of abandonment. Physicians, in the height of a pandemic, they're not going to be joining from a PC in an office. Most likely, they're going to be on a mobile phone. So what are the implications that for the content that they're trying to deliver through those webinars that's consumed on a mobile phone, they're not going to stay for hours? And so, you know, you need to find out what is most relevant and impactful to be able to focus the message to ensure that engagement is maintained for as long as possible. Now, you can only get to that level of insight by taking analytics way beyond the metrics from, you know, that are currently out there and exploring sort of the micro level of insight to a new depth. To me, Greg, that was a great example. A client that was curious, that started to ask questions of the existing data that they couldn't address, and very quickly, very quickly realized the benefit. And now going forward, all of the, their webinars now have this new level of insight.
0: That's quite incredible. And, you know, this isn't just something that applies to this industry then either. This is something that I think across the health and life sciences industry we, we've seen as we've moved. And I must admit myself, you know, I get invited to so many webinars and the like now um, that you can't attend everything for sure. So can you see how this might be used by uh, other customers to do the same kind of thing? And do you think it's here to stay?
1: Yeah, Greg, well, you know, we've got to look at it. Digital will be the primary channel for the foreseeable future. Now, look, even when the sun sets on the pandemic and rises on a post-pandemic world, it's still going to be digital first. You know, you've got to look at it. You know, what are all the efficiencies we've all gained and the benefits uh, from our virtual engagements easier to get content, more tailor-made. You don't have to take days out of the working week to go to an in-person sort of conference anymore. So webinars, they're going to have such a critical role in conveying scientific information. So yeah, I definitely think that, you know, that they're going to be here to stay. The one thing that I'm starting to see though, is that many clients don't know what they don't know. You know, we're provisioned with summary level statistics, you know, how many people attended, how long did this sort of, uh, did they stay uh, stay for, And they can be lulled into a false sense of security that was sort of doing okay. But the question is, can they do better? Can we deliver more precision back that enhances the physician's experience? And I think this is where the conversation needs to go to, Greg. Mm. You know, have they got a true understanding of a physician's behaviour online? What other digital real estates are physicians exploring in addition to those webinars? What is their journey that they're going on? And how can you collect all of that information and provide insight back to those at the sort of a sharp end who need it, such as the sales of representatives? How can all this information be collected back and put back into a CRM system, for example? Uh, I think where it's leading us to, Greg, is that, you know, needs of the digital engagement landscape... It needs to be reevaluated.
0: Mm. Uh, interesting. I, I build on that. You, you shared with me a report before we did this. Um, EY Reuters report: Beyond COVID nineteen, life sciences reimagined, um, and that picked up on some of these things. Can you talk to me a bit about some of these other challenges that the industry will have going forward?
1: Yeah, sure, Greg. Well, firstly, I think that that report is a must read uh, for any sort of digital marketeer in the life sciences uh, industry. It was a survey that was conducted uh, of over 500 executives about, you know, what, you know, the experiences that they'd been through in the throughout the sort of pandemic and how it was changing their perceptions, being able to sort of move forward. Uh, they conclusively agreed that the webinar channel was going to be the sort of the primary channel, and also well, what are the challenges that are associated with in that and I think it was expanding upon that idea that I just mentioned earlier is that you know I think one of the biggest areas, the biggest gaps that 's going to exist is from all of these digital engagements that physicians are now starting to have across digital real estates owned by pharmaceutical companies is that how can you collect all of that information and put it to the point of execution such as a sales rep the next time that they go in when they do go in to have a conversation with a physician that all of this insight about their online journey their online behavior has been collected and served up back to them in their CRM system I certainly see that's the area where the industry needs to start thinking about and how to charter a direction of how to get there.
0: That's brilliant. Thanks, Patrick. Well, I'm just conscious we're running out of time here. I I just want to pick up on one question at the end here that we've been asking everybody, and that's to think about the future and where the industry is heading and where it's going. Yeah, we've had some interesting comments from previous guests uh, that range from the miraculous to the kind of really kind of common sense kind of answers. So, Patrick, Just sum up for me, what's the future hold? What's your kind of prediction for where this industry is heading?
1: Greg, well, I think the industry had been on this path of digital transformation over the last number of years. COVID didn't start it. The pandemic didn't start it, but it has accelerated it. And now it's accelerated to a stage where that transformation is now starting to go at warp, warp speed. You know, what is part of this? Well, cloud has to be the central part of the strategy. Now, over the last few years within the life sciences industry, uh, we've seen data that has been put into the cloud. But wherever the data is in the cloud, the analytics need to follow. Data without analytics is value that is undiscovered. So the analytics has to follow the data into the cloud. New opportunities are then going to start to emerge, to reimagine about now that that data and the analytics are now in the cloud, how do we get to the insight and release that insight? So we need to start thinking about designing and getting our analytical platforms in the cloud to allow the discovery of new insights. If I was just to summarize, Greg, you know, from my experiences over the last uh, 12 months, you know, I really would say that cloud saved the day. Those companies that had embraced uh, evolutionary cloud strategies for analytics that were those companies that were best to respond throughout the pandemic. So making the investment into cloud, getting the analytics into the cloud, that's where I see the future direction going. And of course, you know, all of the things that will then follow. Let's start thinking about uh, artificial intelligence, uh, deploying uh, Internet of Things, uh, being able to get those insights into that cloud environment too.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Patrick. And your insight is always uh, valuable. And I'm sure our listeners are going to have a lot of feedback. And as a reminder, you can do that through our email, Podcast at SAS.com. You know, I think that closing subject there about the future and uh, the use of analytics in the cloud is particularly interesting. I think people are going to have some views and opinions on that, uh, maybe even some thoughts about the IoT side of it. You know, are we going to swallow a tablet with a little sensor in it? And maybe that's something we can pick up on a, on a, subsequent episode as well so as we've mentioned in other episodes we are looking to bring together an episode in the future where we look at listeners questions and we put them back to our experts that have been online and we've got plans to do that in the future but thank you very much for joining me on the health pulse i've been your host greg horn please like and subscribe to receive future episodes and we hope to be broadcasting to you again very soon thank you very much